welcome to this portion of Sabbath School. Um, as we, we're going to take a look at something that I, I, I believe that we all have an, un, we should all have an understanding of, and if we don't, I pray that what we look at today will, will, will be a blessing. But um, before we begin, let us open up with a word of prayer. Amen. All right. Happy Sabbath once again, everyone. All right. As I said, we I like to hold this in my hand. As I said, we're going to take a look um, at something that we um, we should be familiar with. And as, as you can see in the notes, it's Matthew 24. And, and um, I've come to really appreciate this chapter by by that the Matthew, Mark and Luke recorded Mark 13, Luke 21. And John mentions it in, in, in different ways, though. But um, but in this story, this is an account that Christ gave to the church, and 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 anything that Jesus said is very important. And and Matthew 24 is is is, is really a powerful chapter, and 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 it's in light of what um, Swin and Rashad and Romero has gone over so far with Daniel. And I know we've been doing Daniel 11, and right now we're going to get back to doing Daniel 11 because we didn't finish off from 36 to to 45. So we're going to get back to that. But I believe this is built upon the whole chapter of Daniel 11, what we're about to look at. And I pray that we, we will all see it. But I pray far more that we will come to believe the Bible like we've never believed after looking at this. Because Matthew 24 is intended to make people believe the Bible. That's, that's, it's not that the whole Bible is in or Daniel isn't. But what Christ said here is, is, is specifically intended to make anybody who take up their Bible and read it, even if they've never been taught the Bible, and they just look at it, they will come to believe, oh man, the Bible really is the Word of God, and Jesus really is coming. And we're living in a time when we're really going to see Christ. And that's the whole intention and purpose of Matthew 24, uh, and Luke 21, and Mark 13. So I pray that, that that idea can be conveyed to us as we go through this. But here's how Satan hides this from people. Satan hides truth from people in regards to prophecy in two ways. One, he either makes people put the prophecies that happened in the past way in the future. That's one way he does it. Another way, prophecies that happen in, um, prophecies that's to happen in the, in the future, what, does, what do you think he does? He, he puts it in the past. So these are the ways he does it. When he wants to hide something from people, he put the prophecy that happened in the past in the future, and when he definitely don't want you to see what he's about to do in the future, he put the one that's in the future and he puts it in the past and make you think it's back there. And when you get there, oh, you're lost. Either way, you're going to be lost. Y'all follow? So this is how he makes people fall in this ditch. Either put the history that happened in the future or put the history that's about to happen in the past. And that's how he destroys people understanding in the first, the second, and the third angel's message. People come down and they go to Revelation 13 that talks about the 1260. They put it in the future. Man, it's clearly in the past. That stuff is in the past. But some people in Adventism put it in the future. And therefore, they are hiding the historical record of the 1260 from the people, something that they need to see to help them to identify when that very prophecy is repeated again in their day. We have to see it before it happens. If we don't see it before it happens, we will be lost. Y'all follow? If we wait to see Jesus come, are we going to be saved? We have to see him before he comes. That's why he gave us signs to watch and to follow so that we are ready and prepared for his coming. Amen? So we're going to look at Matthew 24, and I pray that the thought will be conveyed. And I really, I'm really praying that the Lord would really inspire us to really go and study our Bibles after we take a look at some of these things. So let's, let's go down. And, and here's another reason why I want to bring this in. I believe every single Christian on planet Earth is supposed to understand Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13. Every single Christian on planet Jesus himself gave these signs for every single living person on planet Earth 
that wants to prepare for his second coming. We may say we can't understand the revelation. We may say Daniel is a prophecy is too hard. Well, Jesus made Matthew 24. Daniel and Revelation is Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13. That's what Matthew 24 really is. And Christ made it plain for every eye who reads these chapters to recognize him. But Satan, as I said, deceives people. He either puts it in the past or he puts it in the future. So when people read Matthew 24, they're reading it with the wrong idea, either in the future or in the past. What should be in the future, they put in the past. And what should be in the past, they put in the future. Y'all follow? And therefore, you lose everything of what Jesus was saying in that entire chapter. But praise God, he's going to raise up people. And I believe everyone in here should be able to successfully teach Matthew 24 with no problem. And I pray that as we go through this, we will all see that, man, I am capable of teaching this for myself. And that's what I want us to also see, that we are capable of using Matthew 24 as a weapon to cut through darkness that Satan is putting over people's minds so, they, so that they won't recognize their Savior. Amen? So I'm hoping that going through this will remove this from our minds, that we can all understand it, and every one of us will be capable of teaching it. This is my hopes at the end of it. So let's look at this first quote. Um, it says, There are those now living who, in studying the prophecies of Daniel and John, receive great light, from God as they pass over the ground where special prophecies were in process of fulfillment in their order. They bore the message of time to the people. The troop shone out clearly as the sun at noonday. And I'm going to take this principle. She's linking this to Daniel and Revelation. Everyone can clearly see this, right? <clears throat> but I want us to see that this is a principle. I, I, is everyone following? Mm -hmm. Amen. I remember, I can't, see the, I can't see the faces and know if we're following. But it says, historical events... You know, and I praise God, you know, for my condition as I think about it. This forces everybody to participate because I can't see y'all faces. So if y'all going to encourage me, y'all have to speak up and participate. Amen? Yeah. Swindon and Romario and Rashad can see y'all faces, so y'all may feel inclined not to say anything. But help me, though. Help me. I can't see y'all. So help me. Amen? Yeah. All right. Be the church's help me. Praise the Lord. Come on. All right. So it says, Historical events showing the direct fulfillment of prophecy were set before the people, and the prophecy was seen to be a what? Figurative, Figurative delineation of events leading down to the close of this earth's history. I want us to see that historical events is so important. We need to recognize prophecy as historical events. We have to see it that way. If we don't see it that way, we're going to miss things. So I just want to see, um, let us continue. Let's look up figurative. Representing something else representing by resemblance, not literal or direct. So prophecy is historical events. So the 1260 is a historical event. So the 1260 is representing something else. So whatever the Bible says is to come to pass, when that very thing comes to pass, God designed that that thing that just came to pass is to represent something to your mind. So this is why it's important to understand what happened in the past. Amen. You have to. Amen. So I'm just going to identify some events of Matthew 24. And here's what I love about this. I know by faith, by the grace of God, that if I come walk with the Lord in doing this, I know that there are holy angels in this room and I won't have to tell you what they point to. Once once the living minister shows you what happened in the past, the, the living ministers that we can't see shows you how they're going to be fulfilled in the future. That's their role. Y'all follow? That's their role. Our role is to show people, behold the Lamb of God. Look at what Jesus did, and the angels now take over from where we leave off. Now let me show you what Jesus is going to do. Amen? Amen? So I praise God. There are holy angels in this room prepared and ready to work with us, and I thank God for that. Amen? Amen. So let us go on. Um, reasons for questions. Let's go to Matthew 23. Let's look at what the disciples ask questions. And we all are familiar with Matthew 24. Every, I think every person, even the atheist and infidel, is familiar with Matthew 24. Do y'all understand that? Amen. Everyone who, who just have a Bible is familiar with Matthew 24. They may not know what it's talking about. Everyone has heard something in regards to Matthew 24. You can turn on the news and you see Sunday churches talk about Matthew 24 and certain things. Yes, the signs of the times. Everyone always referred to this or Luke 21 or Mark 13. So, but most people don't understand what is the what is the reason for the question of why they even asked that in the first place. Let's go to 23. 
O Jerusalem, Jesus closes by this. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto them. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you what? Desolate. That's why they ask. Because that word, Ellen White says in their mind, Christ spoke of Jerusalem being destroyed. So, that, so logically, Lord, let's go look. Christ is speaking of something specific. And this is taken from Daniel. I'm not going to go into this, but I really want us to see this. Daniel 9, 26. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be what? Cut off. What is this talking about? Every seventh day Adventist should know what this is talking about. What is it? Just this part. Not the verse. Just this part. What is it talking about, Sister Emily? Calvary. What happened at Calvary? Okay, so Daniel 9, 26 is talking about the crucifixion of Christ. Amen? Uh, I mean, we didn't do a study on this as yet, but one day, by the grace of God, we will. And if, even if we didn't, the book Daniel Revelation goes into this very nicely. <laughs> Amen. This is a historical event that we must lock into our brains. Amen. We must lock 31 AD into our minds. It must stay there firmly established in our brains. Let's look at what, Christ, what Daniel says after the Messiah is cut off. But not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall what? Destroy what? And what? What is it talking about? So after the crucifixion, what should follow? The destruction of what? So when Christ says, your house shall be left unto you desolate, what was he talking about? Daniel 9, 26. That's what he was talking about. Let's look at it. It says, amen. And it says, listen to this part. Um, Prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the what? And the end thereof shall be with the flood, but, and unto the end of the war, what? Desolation. What is determined? Desolation. Desolation. Desolations. Amen. This is very, 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 very important to understand. Very important. Go ahead. Yeah, now then, with this verse, we go to the, um, you go two chapters later. Swin and cover that in Daniel 11:31. Amen. So there's two desolating powers. So Jesus in Matthew 24 is going to cover how many? Two desolating powers. Yeah, I, I'm not. I just. I'm going to go back to. I'm going to keep it as simple as I can. This is what Christ is talking about. That's all I want us to see. Amen. This is what Christ is talking about, and I just want us to see that. Now, following, let's go back to Matthew 24. So Christ says, your house is left unto you desolate. He's pointing to something in the future because Christ knows that after the cross, the city and the sanctuary is going to be destroyed. So the disciples said to him, let's look at what the disciple says. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. This is important. Only the disciples is going to understand this. Only those who follow Christ is going to really understand Matthew 24. That's what I want us to see. Amen. So people may read Matthew 24, but only the true followers of Christ is going to, because if Christ don't help you understand it, Satan is either one, going to make you put what happened in the past where? In the future, or he's going to make what happens in the future where? In the past. So if Christ don't help you understand it, you will never, ever understand Matthew 24. You just can't. Even though it's plain, you won't be able to understand it because Satan is going to blind your eyes from understanding it unless you come to Christ privately and ask. In other words, you have to ask Christ to explain it to you. You follow? You have to ask him. So all I want to do is encourage us. But let's go back. Here's what Christ says. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him how? Privately saying, Tell me. Not us. Tell me. Yep, amen, right? Tell me, Lord, when shall these things be? One. And, and two, what shall be the sign of thy coming? And what? And the end of, we just read Daniel 9, 26. The end shall be with the what? A flood. This is the desolations, these two desolations. Let's look at Luke. Let's look at how Luke recorded Christ's statement. And they asked him saying, Master, but when shall these things be? And what, and look at, I love how Luke puts it. 
And what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? So there should be signs leading up to it coming to pass. Y'all follow? Here's what I now want to go into. Here's what I want to look at. The first question was in reference to Jerusalem, the destruction of Jerusalem, literal Jerusalem. That was the first question. The second question was about his second coming, the literal second coming. That's it. That's all Matthew 24 is about, the destruction of Jerusalem and the signs of the second coming. Those are the only two events that Christ is commenting on in, in, in regards to their question. They asked, he answered. Amen? What is the sign that Jerusalem is about to be destroyed? And what is the sign that lets me know that you are really coming? That's it. That's all they ask. So Jesus is going to tell us. So everything Christ says from after that point, Christ is standing in, I think it was 31 AD. He's standing in 31 AD, just before the cross, just before he goes to the grave. Um, Christ now is opening up to their mind what's going to happen after the cross. He, so everything Christ is about to say is in the future. Y'all follow? From that point, from the reference point of 31 AD, Christ is about to open up the future to the disciples. That's what he's going to do. No, I'm not going there. Yes, amen. Praise God. Again, amen. When are you going to set up? And then he says, it's not for me. It's not, it's not for you. Power. Yeah. Amen. So go back to this now, um, to, to this part. Ezekiel 12, what is a sign? Let's see what one of the definitions the Bible says a sign is. Ezekiel 12, say I am your sign. Like, I have, like as I have done, so shall it be what? Very simple. A sign simply is something that was done, it's going to be done. Yes, amen. That's a sign. So when they said, Lord, what sign? So whatever Christ is about to show them, it's written. Y'all follow? Whatever Jesus is about to tell them, it was written in the Old Testament. It's there. So anything Jesus is about to say, he's just going to frame, he's just going to put a new symbol on something that's already, that's what a sign is. Christ can't break the Bible. He can't break it. Whatever he's about to show them, and we're going to find a verse where in Matthew that says that, all things written. Amen. So let's go. I just want to see that's what a sign is. So everything Jesus is about to say in Matthew 24 is written in the Old Testament. It's there. Christ has only lifted the veil that's over, that's over the, the symbols in the Old Testament and explaining it to the disciples. This is what's going to happen in the future. And when that thing happens, when the destruction of Jerusalem happened, it now becomes a figurative delineation representing something else. Y'all follow? But in order to know what is represented, we must first know how it actually happened. We have to understand how the destruction of Jerusalem happened. Go ahead. Yes, amen, amen. That's why it's a sign. So past is a sign, past, present, and future, those are signs. So let's look at what Eloi has to say on this. Christ's words had been spoken in the hearing of a large number of people. She's referencing Matthew 23 and going into 24. But when he was alone, Peter, John, and James, and Andrew came to him as he sat upon the Mount of Olives. Tell us, they said, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Jesus did not answer his disciples by taking up separately the destruction of Jerusalem and the great day of his coming. He mingled the description of these, what? Two events. Had he opened to his disciples, listen to this part, future events as he beheld them, they would have been unable to what? But he that endures to the end, the same shall be what? At the close of probation, Christ is going to open up to the things in the future the way he beholds them. And if we're not able to endure it in the close of probation, we are, we're done. We're just basically done. Y'all follow? But before probation closes, Christ is going to mingle things that's going to happen in the future to prepare us for the close of probation. Y'all follow? This is what this is referencing. Just before the destruction of Jerusalem come, a revelation is being given to them of how Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. This is why it's important to understand how it was destroyed in the first place. How it was destroyed in the first place is how it's going to be destroyed at the end of the world. And just before it's destroyed, a revelation is going to be given telling us how it's going to be destroyed. 
and Christ is going to mingle it with mercy. And when that time comes for it to be destroyed, no more mercy. He's just going to open up the future, and only those who are able to bear it are those that received it in the first place. Amen? Amen. So, let's con but so we have to know how it was given in the beginning. So let's continue. He, um, in mercy to them, he blended the description of the two great crises, leaving the disciples to, to study out the meaning for themselves. Um, let's look at, yes, the death and the siege. Go down to the next heading. So now we're going to look at the question. They asked the question, so now we're going to look at the answer. And Jesus what? Answered them. So now he's going to give them the explanation of what's going to happen just before Jerusalem is destroyed. We have to see it this way. We, if we don't see this literally, that this is the destruction of Jerusalem, we, can't, we don't have anything to parallel at the end of the world. We can't parallel this if we don't know it. Y'all follow? We, in order to parallel this at the end of the world, we have to see how it happened in the past. And that's what we're about to now walk through, how it happened. This is why the Millerites, hopefully I get to that part, you're going to see why the Millerites really believed Jesus was coming the second time. It was because of Matthew 24. They really believed he was coming the second time because they walked down through Matthew 24 and they said there is no way that he can't be coming because the very next thing is this. And, the, and man, they, you could not get them to move from that. And I hope that will be what's impressed upon our minds, that will propel us to study the Bible like the way they studied it. So let's go on. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Turn into the disciples, Christ says, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Many false messiahs will appear claiming to work miracles and declaring that the time of the deliverance of the Jewish nation has come. You see, I want us to see what she's doing here. Many people read this and they put it in the future. It's true. It's true. But do not dare move it from, a hist from its historical setting. Don't do that. Put it where it needs to go. Christ is talking about the sign of the destruction of Jerusalem. It is true that there's going to be false Christ, but we must see where it was actually fulfilled. Amen? We have to see it that way. Yes, amen. It says, these will mislead many. Christ's words, what? Were fulfilled. Between his what? Right here. Between his death and the siege. Keep that in mind. So between his death and the siege, between 31 AD and 66 AD, let's look at what happened. These will mislead. Between his death and the siege of Jerusalem, many false messiahs appeared. But this warning was given also to those who live in this what? This age of the world. The same deceptions. The what? So then I need to know what was the deception here? What was the deception here that made people stay in the city when they saw the sign? What deception led people to remain in Jerusalem when they saw the sign that it was going to be destroyed? Because Christ, Satan is going to repeat the same, the same deception to make people remain in the cities that are going to be destroyed. Y'all follow? Amen. By not understanding the deception here, we won't understand the deception here. So by Satan putting this into the future, the sign is happening right around you. But you're thinking it's coming down here, but it's happening right here. Because you don't understand how it happened in the past. She says between his death and the siege. So between a death and the siege, between 1798 mm -hmm. and this, between 1989 mm -hmm. and this, the papacy died, the king of the south died. Y'all follow? Amen. And at the Sunday law, who's going to die? The United States. Y'all are following? Amen. They fulfill at different points in history, at different points, and people are not recognizing these things, and therefore people are not recognizing that they need to leave the cities. Y'all following? Yeah. So let us continue. It says, um, the same deceptions pr practiced prior to the destruction of Jerusalem have been signed, practiced through the ages, and will be practiced again. So we have, we have to recognize, now I need my writer. Um, <laughs> amen. So I'm going to remember the destruction of Jerusalem, right? And I want to, no, on this side, I'm going to ask a question for this one. Um, if I was to ask us this one question, 
ask us this question. What is the difference between a big city and a large city? Population. Huh? Population. And a large city. I mean, big city and a small city. Thank you. Thank, I'm glad you caught that. <laughs> big city and a small city. The size. The size. Population. Population may not necessarily be one. Okay. A city that has people, it, it has something to do with the center, though. You know, where, where, where business and commerce and everything. Okay, there, now, we're now, we, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere. Because it doesn't really have to be population. Yes, population plays a part. There are some small cities that's big, I mean, that's small, that has lots of people in big cities that don't really have much people, you know, but it, it is big. But yeah, you can, you know. Yeah. But I want us to see that population is a part of it, but that's not mainly what most people kind of rest on. You can Google this stuff, you know. Yes, all right. So I'm going to read this definition that my friend Google helped me to, to find. And Google says this, what are the difference between a big city and a small, a small town? To begin, a significant difference between big cities and small town is the cost of living. That's one of the biggest differences. To live in a big city, it costs more. To live in a smaller one, it costs less. So that's the first thing people recognize with big cities, the cost of living. So to live in a city like New York versus a city like, I don't know, Tony, like Tony, is a big difference. Big difference in cost of living. Because the more people you have, the more things got to go up. The less people you have, the, the price got to come down. That's basically how they value those things. So, so it says, and here's this. From a, from, and here's another part why this one, I believe Google probably got this from nature. From a health point of view, small towns are better for you than cities. Due to reduced traffic and therefore reduced air pollution, you can treat your lungs to beautiful fresh air in a small town. So a second reason they say is health, cost of living and health. If you live, if you... Amen. And it costs to live, right? It's both. Yeah, amen. So to live in a big city, you're killing yourself with work and you're killing yourself with poor health. Because on, in order to live in a big city, they, they, you got to work more to make more to stay there. To live in a small one, you don't need to work as much, but you can live there and live a little better. Keep this in mind. We're going to come back to these things later. Amen. We did experience it. So right now, the, these signs is teaching people to leave cities because the health in cities are going to deteriorate as we get closer to the second coming. The cost of living is going to get worse as we get closer to the second coming. Y'all are following? That's why we have to understand it literally. If we don't understand it, why Christ is doing these things is because we don't understand the signs in which he gave in the past. Amen. Go ahead. Small town. That's the key. Yeah. That one is key. And it's because of poor air. Yeah. One of. Amen. 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 And I just want to show that Google must have read the spirit of prophecy. Because these are the reasons why she says we should leave large cities. It's too expensive for, for physically and for our health. These two reasons is why we should not be living in large cities. And we're going to see where to go from large to small to country. Amen? Because Christ is going to take us from small to large to heaven. Y'all follow? 
If those who follow will go up to heaven. Those who follow will die on earth. Don't follow, will die on earth. Amen? So let's go back. So here's what I, I'm going to ask now. What are some small cities? If I ask y'all large cities, y'all will give me a list of names. So matter of fact, let's start with the large cities. Name some large cities. New York City. Okay, that's one. Name, you, know, you know that's... You know when you actually look up large cities, New York is number one? Number one. They have 8 million people alone in New York City. That's the worst place to live if you're a Christian, is New York City. Yeah, and another one, L.A. Someone said L.A. I think that's second on the list. Well, I looked up in America. In America. Matter of fact, I'll take those. Can you write those? Can you write down large cities? New York, L.A., Tokyo. Atlanta. Actually, Atlanta, I think, was, was down a little bit. You know, but it is a large city. Don't get me wrong. It is a large city. Atlanta is a large city. Miami. Miami was down too. Houston was one of the next ones. If I have five, that's enough. How many I have? That's cool. That's fine. So name me some small ones. Here's where people struggle. Name me some small cities. Name me some. A small city. Charlotte is not a small city. No, it's not a small city. Huntsville, Huntsville is not a small city. Mount Eagle, yeah, Mount Eagle would be a small city. Yeah, it would be a small city. Tracy City would be a small city. But I'm going to name some that some of y'all probably know. I'm here. I have to go. Portland? I don't think Portland is a small city. Oregon. Talking about Portland, Maine, or Oregon. No, I don't think Portland is a small city. It may be. Yeah, I don't think Portland is a small city. It wasn't on the list. But well, here's the list, and y'all gonna know some of them, so you can write this down. Um, Ann Arbor. I've heard about that. Where's that? Michigan. Michigan. Amen. Here's another one. Charleston. No, South Carolina. Actually, we've been there. Um, Fort Myers. A small city. Okay. Vatican City. No, it's 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 a it's a small city. Vatican City, Rome is a small city. And here's one that we're all gonna be familiar with. St. George's, Grenada, is a small city. Yes, it's, a, it's in the list of small cities. So move from a large to a small city. St. Grenada, St. George's would fall on that list. Fort Myers would fall on that list. So I just want us to see that for right now. So here we have large cities and small cities. Amen? The destruction of Jerusalem is a sign for both. Y'all follow? Jerusalem was a city. Remember Daniel said, the destruction of the cities. Y'all follow? So if we want to know how cities are going to be destroyed, we just simply need to see how Jerusalem was destroyed. Amen. Yes, it does. To a small city. And they were both destroyed. Amen? So praise the Lord. That's, that's why I had this listed, practical, so we can see it practically. So New York, because it's large, it's Jerusalem. Tokyo, because it's large, it's Jerusalem. Whatever one is on there, it's Jerusalem. The small one is Zor. That's what Swindon went to in Genesis 19. But the same principle applies to both. So here's what I want us to see. When the destruction begins, where is God going to start? Large to small. Begin at the ancient. Begin with the people that has been given the most wealth. Y'all follow? Because the wealth represents the light. So God is going to start with these large cities in order to arouse people. Amen? Yes. So, so if we want to know how some cities are going to be destroyed, Matthew 24 gives us the sign. Yeah. Before Katrina came, that means New Orleans was warned. God gave them their sign and they didn't see it. Before 9-11 happened, they were warned. God gave them their sign, and they didn't see it. Before that earthquake happened in Japan, God, this teaches us, Matthew 24 teaches us, God is so faithful and merciful. He never, ever sends a destruction without a warning. Never, never. Y'all follow? That's what Matthew 24, so every destruction that happens in the world Every one of them received a warning from heaven, but they ignored the warning and they didn't come out of that place before. You know why? Because they don't know Christ. Amen. Amen. 
famine, pestilence. Amen. Diverse places. Praise God. Get out. <laughs> Praise God. Well, for those, for, one, for, for what's written in the sand, I want to add this. The end is not there yet when you see that. Yes. No, there's a sign that specifically lets you know it's near. That's the one I'm getting to. Those other ones, it's letting you know it's coming. But there's one he gives specifically to let you know it's near. Y'all follow? And that, if we don't understand this, we're not going to understand the destruction of cities. We're just not. The whole purpose of this is to teach. Yes, that's what I want to I say. These minor signs is letting us know it's coming. But the one that lets you know it's imminent is this one. So before Katrina came, there was an imminent sign God gave them, and they didn't see it. Y'all follow? Before 9-11 happened, there was an imminent sign in which he gave them, and they didn't see it. Y'all follow? So before any big city is destroyed, there's an imminent sign that you must see as the people of God, and you better leave that city as fast as you can. You follow? We have to see this or we will be destroyed in that very destruction. Amen. Let's continue. So small cities. Um, I read that part with small cities, and now we're going to go back to our notes. Sasha, stop me at 40, 50 minutes. I'm stopping at 50 minutes. Please. So it says, go down now to beginning of sorrows. Beginning of sorrows. Matthew 24. This is what Swindon was talking about, and this is why I made the point I was making. That's why I understand in Matthew 24 is very, this is teaching us about the destruction of cities and the second coming. That's what it's doing. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you be not what? Troubled. For all these things must come to pass. But the what? But the end. So these are not telling you the end is, is right here. They're not telling you that. That's not what they're designed to tell you. The end is, is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. All of this happened before the siege. That's all I want us to see that the destruction of Jerusalem, there was two warnings. There was these warnings to let people know, man, we better start thinking about leaving. This one tells you there's no thinking. Go. You follow? This one, start thinking. This one, go. Start thinking, go. Y'all follow? All right. Oh, yes. Praise God. Against nation. Uh, see that you be not troubled. Amen. That is really nice. Amen. 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 That's nice. Amen. 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 So let's look at what Ellen White has to say about this now. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Listen to this part. Prior to the destruction of Jerusalem, men wrestled for the supremacy. Emperor were, emperors were murdered. What are we seeing right now? What's happening right now? Did I need to tell y'all that? Did I need to tell y'all that? No, I didn't. Because angels are in the room to impress that on your mind. The, the, the Sri Lanka prime minister, what just happened to him? Sir, they just removed them. I just got an update. They just burned his mansion. Emperors against him. The prime minister of the UK, what's happening to him? He has to be removed. The Japanese, he's rerunning for prime minister. He is set. So all these are the beginning of sorrows. They're just the beginning. Y'all follow? We're living right in between the siege. We are in it. The only reason we can parallel this is because our eyes is being opened up to what happened back here. This shows the importance of understanding past history. If we don't understand it correctly, we can't understand this correctly. Satan is successful at deceiving people by one, making them put the past in the future and the future in the past. That's what Satan does. God wants his people to give the exact location to where things, I praise God for God. Amen. Amen. Thank him. Go ahead, Sanira. Jesus died, um, after, 
after that, there was, there was famines and pestilence. Yes, right but it, that's really in history. It really did happen. Right after he died, it really increased. And Satan did that on purpose. And here's why Satan did it. Let's read on to what you just said. There were wars and rumors of wars. All these things must come to pass, says Christ, but the end of the Jewish nation as a nation is what? So the Christians in this time, they were seeing these things. And they knew that Jesus said, don't worry, don't be troubled, the end is not yet. Don't be deceived by what the false prophets are about to tell you. Let's read what the false prophets did. All these are the beginning of sorrows, Christ said the bold. As the rabbis, as the Protestants, as false Adventists, see these signs, they will declare them to be God's judgments upon the nations for holding in bondage his chosen people. They will declare that these signs are the token of the advent of the Messiah. Many Adventists is teaching this foolishness because they see earthquakes and stuff that this is the end. But Jesus tell me, no, it's not the end. There's a specific sign Seventh-day Adventists must see that lets them know, no, this is the sign of the end. Amen. Y'all follow? That's why it's important to see these things. Many people seen these just, I used to be in that deception saying, but now nah, when you study this, oh no, Lord, you're only telling us this is the beginning of sorrows. We're about to see some terrible things. COVID-19 was a pestilence. It's only the beginning of COVID-19. COVID-19 is coming back with a vengeance. It's coming back terrible. Since people don't want to repent and leave the large cities, you are going to feel it. That's what happened in the destruction of Jerusalem. They didn't want to accept the message to leave and accept Christ, so they felt it. Kerry loves saying this. All who can't hear will feel. If you can't hear what COVID-19 was saying, you will feel. Follow? Let's continue. It says, they will declare that these signs are the token of the advent of the Messiah. Be not deceived. They are the beginning of his judgments. The people have looked to themselves. They have not what? What didn't they do with COVID-19? They didn't repent. They have not repented and been converted that I should heal them. The signs that they represent as tokens of their release from bondage are signs of their destruction. So in COVID-19, we're reading the signs of people's destruction. If we can understand what COVID-19 is teaching, we have a representation of what's coming in the future. Yes, he is. Amen. Amen. Let's look at how Luke says it. I love how Luke says it. And he says, take heed that ye be not deceived. So there's deception going on in this time. There's a deception happening right now where we are. There's it because there was a deception in this time just before some city, uh, listen, some city is about to be destroyed or get hit really hard like we've never seen it before. Y'all follow? That's what this is teaching us. Some city, one of these large cities, I, don't, I, 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 I would say it's not the small one yet. Some large city of which we're all familiar with I believe is about to be hit very, very, very hard because it's a sign. It's a sign to let people know the destruction of Jerusalem is being repeated. Y'all follow? Amen. So let us continue. Here's what Luke says. Um, Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and, and the time draw, and the time, and I am Christ, and the time draws near. So the deception in this time when people saw those things, they were saying the time draws near. And Christ says, do not be deceived by that. Because if you believe that, you're going to stay in Jerusalem. If you believe that lie, you're not going to leave the cities. You follow? We have to understand this. These are, this is teaching us why people are not going to leave the large cities, nor the small ones. And let's move on to this next one. Here's Christ is going to give another sign. This is why I love this. There's a false teaching in this movement that the gospel shouldn't be preached. And if we don't understand the, the time period of Jerusalem, you're going to fall for that false teaching. Y'all follow? And you're not going to receive the latter rain. I want us to see this next sign is important to us because this, in this movement, we're being deceived on the preaching of the gospel. Amen? Yes. But we have a stronger witness now when we talk to our brethren. Brethren, 
you can't parallel the destruction of Jerusalem if you don't get it right. You can't parallel our time unless you understand the parallel of this time. And let's follow. I want us to see what I'm saying. It says, then shall, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall what? Endure, endure unto the end, the, unto the what? Amen. He that endures to the destruction of Jerusalem, the same shall be saved. Let's read on. This is what Christ is talking about. Not the end of the world in this verse. He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. He's talking to literally to his disciples for that time. This is what he's doing. Not that it's not information for us, but we need to see he's literally talking to the 12 disciples and the other disciples that lived in that day. And he was giving them signs to watch for the destruction of Jerusalem. And here's one of those signs. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And what? This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the destruction of Jerusalem come. So if it's not preached, the destruction of Jerusalem can't come. And here's what Ellen White says. Yes, amen. Amen. And this one. In another place. But Matthew 10 explains to you how the persecution comes. Amen. It comes because you received power and you went forth teaching the gospel in Jerusalem. Amen. And we're going to see that's what the disciples did. It says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. I don't want to miss this part. Notice the part where it says iniquity grows cold. You know, one of the trees in our garden say, in order for your iniquity to grow cold, you loved God at one time. Mm -hmm. You had a love for him and your love for him went cold. So this is not talking about worldly people. Merely, it's talking about Christians. Mm -hmm. Because iniquity shall abound, the love, they have to have what? In order for it to grow cold, you have to have what? Does worldly people have love? Yeah. No. So who is it talking about? Christians. The men Yes, amen. Many goes cold because iniquity. Just look at what's happening now. People's love for prophecy, it's going cold. Just going, this is, this is a sign. It's going cold. Why is this important? Because this is the Sunday law. People's love is going to get cold. Yes, amen. That's true. If you, amen. Uh, if you are not partaking in that iniquity, it can't go cold. Yeah, yeah you're, they're putting out the love. Yeah. Amen. That's what the quote actually said. I can't read it because no, it's not in there. Um, All right, I'm going to stop at 15. Wax cold means no Thanks. Amen. Amen. I'm going to jump down. All this the Christians suffered in that bowl, DA 629. Go down to the next bowl. It says, the, persecutor, the persecutors wrought out their purpose by killing Stephen, James, and other Christians. So that's what happened between the death and the siege. Christians was just being killed. And the love of many, because of this, it was growing cold. They were scared of the persecution. And going on, on every occasion, persecution makes people cold. That's what this is in here to tell us. On every occasion when persecution takes place, those who witness it make decisions either for Christ or against him. Those who manifest sympathy for the, for, the, for, the, for the ones wrongly condemned show their attachment for Christ. Others are offended because the principles of truth cut directly across their practices. Many stumble and fall, apostatizing from the faith they once advocated. These are the people going cold. That those who apostatize in time of trial will, to secure their own safety, bear false witness and betray their brethren. Christ has warned us of this, that we may not be surprised at the unnatural, cruel course of those who reject the light. Brothers and sisters, I God forbid that we're going to be tested by this. We are going to be tested by this. And, and I pray that I don't betray any of you, and I pray that none of you betray me. But we have to keep this in mind. This is going to happen. 
When the spotlight is placed upon this movement, some of us are going to grow cold because we don't like challenges and we don't like people challenging what I believe. That spirit has got to go. We cannot be a Christian and don't think we're not going to get challenged. If we're a Christian, there's a dragon that hates our Christianity. He hates it, he, especially if we're a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. He hates it. So we cannot get mad when our ideas and our thoughts are opposed. If they're opposed, just deal with it. Suck it up. You may be wrong, you may be right. Suck it up and go for it and ask the Lord to help to clarify the matter. But don't run from every single battle that comes to you. Suck that stuff up and just put on your armor and wait patiently and let the Lord deal with those things. Amen? Amen. Just wait. Stop running from every fight that comes our way. We need to act like Christian. Christ was no, he was no soft, cuddly thing. That's not Christ. He was bold. He was a lion. He knew when to be a lamb, but he also knew when to be a lion. We may not be good at being a lion and a lamb because our discernment is terrible, but by the grace of God, don't get scared every time you're challenged. Don't get angry and get upset. And if y'all see me doing that, as I always like to tell y'all, remind me of that as well. Amen? We cannot get angry every time we're challenged. We're not prepared for the Sunday law if we're going to get angry every time we're challenged. This time is given to us to prepare for the Sunday law because every single thing we believe is going to be challenged. It's going to be opposed. Every single thing we believe is going to be opposed. They're even going to make laws against us. And we cannot keep running from every fight that comes our way just because we, we, we're scared and we can't keep doing that. That's not Christ. Christ did not run from battles unnecessarily. Yes, we're not, we're not to run. So let's go on. Uh, this is the last quote I'm going to read and I'm going to stop here just to show the sign of the gospel. In the prophecy of Jerusalem's destruction, keep this in mind. This is, we're just looking at the past. If y'all are being impressed with the future, praise God. I just want us to see that what Christ said he was talking about the, right here, the destruction of Jerusalem. In the prophecy of Jerusalem's destruction, Christ says, Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. This prophecy what, what? will again be fulfilled. The abounding iniquity of that day finds its counterpart in this generation. So with the prediction in regard to the preaching of the gospel before the fall of Jerusalem, Paul, writing by the Holy Spirit, declared that the gospel was preached to every creature which is under heaven. This is important. Just before Jerusalem was destroyed, Paul said the gospel was preached to everybody. Did everybody accept it? No, no but it was preached for a witness. And then the destruction of Jerusalem came. Y'all follow? Paul died just before the siege. Just before the siege. Who killed him? Nero. This is him. We need to know who killed Paul. Nero killed him. Nero was a sign. As soon as Nero died, who took over? The destruction of Jerusalem. Oh, man, I, I hope y'all can see that. I'll just say that something has to happen in the United States in order for the United States to be destroyed. Some change in the leadership that has never been done has to take. Nero was the last lineage emperor of pagan Rome, the last one. He was in the line of Julius Caesar. When Vespasian came in, he had no connection to Julius, Augustus, Tiberius. He had no connection whatsoever to that line of, of emperors. And, and Josephus told him, yes, Josephus, they took on a barbarian pretty much. Josephus told him, you're going to be emperor. And he was, no way, no one can be emperor unless they're born in the line of Julius Caesar. And he was, there's no, and he says, you're going to be emperor. Unless he was born an American. You follow? Unless you're born an American, you cannot be a president. So is it possible that we might see an American president that has no connection to America you know, whatsoever? Be a sign of that? Is it possible? That was one of the things with Obama. Amen. And he could be a precursor to that. To that. Amen. That's just something I'm throwing out there because this happened in history. Nero was removed on June 8th, 
68 BC, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Two years AD. before AD. AD. Thank you. AD. You know why I'm saying that? The day dawn. Yeah. That was the day dawn for the Christians. That was the last thing that they were, they were I, I, I hope we can see all of these things. But anyway, because the, a sign came in, it was Cestius. Cestius came in in 66 AD. And two years later, Nero died. Nero, Nero died because he rejected the preaching of Paul. Paul was the last one to preach to Nero. And if you go read Acts of the Apostles, Ellen White says when Paul preached to Nero, it was so powerful. Satan left him for a moment because of how powerful Paul's preaching was. Satan left Nero alone. She says Nero felt the joy and the love of heaven, and he felt like he could be a Christian. But as fast as the impression came, gone. Satan came right. She said he was so afraid. Nero feared nobody. People were terrified of Nero, but she says Nero was terrified of Paul. And he was in prison, but he was scared of Paul. But because of his fear of Paul, he put Paul in prison, and he wouldn't let Paul go. And then a couple of years later, when, the, when the, the light left them and Satan fully got back control of his mind, he killed Paul. And then she says Paul preached to the soldiers. And right after Paul died, 66 A.D. happened. I don't know the exact time when Paul died, 66 A.D. I'm bringing this in because she says the gospel, Paul says, it was preached in his day. And the very next thing after Paul says that was the sign that the destruction is coming. That's telling us the work is going to be now, though. Before the sign comes. That's, why can you parallel that? Why can you parallel it? So if a city is going to be destroyed, there should be a preaching accompanying that destruction. If we don't see this, we can't parallel it correctly. We just can't line it up. And that's why you have people teaching that we're not to preach to anyone. Therefore, the destruction's not going to come. It can't come. People have to be warned. People have to be told. And, 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 and there must be a sign. So I'm going to stop here. I'm going to read this last part of the course. She says, So now, before the coming of the Son of Man, the everlasting gospel is to be preached, to every nation, kindred, and tongue, and people. Um, um, go down to the next quote. I didn't highlight this one. I'm sorry. I, I, need, I have to read this one, and then I'm done with this one, because it's connected to it, and I'm going to pick back up there. He does not say that all the world will be converted, but that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. By, this is the part I wanted. By giving the gospel to the world, it is in our power to hasten the coming of Christ. Right? And go on. Amen. Amen. It is in our power to hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. What have we been teaching about the sign? That is, the, that is a type of the what? Day of the Lord. So it's where? In our power to hasten this day. Y'all are following? I can't parallel this if I don't know this history. I have to parallel it with this history. Because that's what she says to do. The destruction of Jerusalem is a type of the destruction of cities. So if some city is going to be destroyed, then this is my parallel. This line is my parallel. And the gospel must be preached in order to hasten that day. God doesn't delight in the death of people, but Christ needs to save his people. Amen? He has to save. And let's go on. Here's what she says. Um, had the church... No, sorry. We are not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of the day of God. Amen? We're not only to sit there and watch and look for it. We're to work and hasten that, but we're to work in his lines. Amen? So it says, had the church of Christ done her appointed work as the Lord ordained, the whole world would before this have been warned, and the Lord Jesus would have come to our earth in power and great glory. So I'll stop right here, and God willing, we'll pick back up in part two from this point forward. So all I just wanted to go over is just showing Matthew 24, we have to understand in this natural historical setting in order to correctly understand it for our day and our time. Amen? Amen. Let us close out for it. Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, for the written record of your word that you've left to us. 
And not only did you leave it to us, O oh Lord, you, you have preserved the Bible for us here at the end of the world. Having the Bible in our hands is one of the greatest evidence to your power. Even though Satan lies to people in telling them that the Bible is distorted, it's perverted, it's been changed. But Lord, honestly, if everyone just stop and look, wait a minute, this Bible was around in my father's time. It was around in his father's time. It was around in his father's father's time. It was around in his father's 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 time. And Lord, if everyone stop and think the Bible was around before even America came on the scene, and you made sure that we have the same Bible preserved accurately here at the end of the world to show us that there has been no changes whatsoever so that we can understand and appreciate the movements of Christ in the past and have a better understanding of the movements of Christ today and have a clearer understanding of the movements of Christ in the future. Please help us to see these things, Lord, and I pray that a love for the Bible is being awakened in our hearts and that, that we won't be leaky vessels leaving here after hearing your voice and going away practicing the same things we were practicing before we came here. Please help us to leave here different people, O oh Lord, doing something differently than we've done before we came here this day. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.